It is so good to be back, you guys. I'm so thankful to be here. And we have little Wes. He's healthy. Um, He's our newborn. Uh, Some of you guys might be new and not know any of our story. Um, But we had our little boy, Wesley William Bedlian, um, the fourth. No, I'm kidding. Um, In my family, I'm the the third. We like to throw numbers at the end of names. Um, He decided to come 10 days early. So we weren't fully prepared. They say you're never prepared, and I think that's true. Uh, have a, you can have you know, the room, you can have everything prepared, but you're not really prepared because you've never seen them, met them, know all their needs and what the process is going to happen. Um, Wes came 10 days early, and my wife started having contractions. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with contractions because you've never had a baby or like you're single and you've never experienced this, contractions are like nature's beautiful way of making the female body go, get out! It's just like where everything, all the muscles, everything's just like latches, and she's like, get out of me! And I remember when Sarah that started the contraction, she's like, oh, and my sweet, and she's got this really joyful countenance, and she just had this like intensity that was like, like she's going to kill me if we, I don't do what she says. She's like, we need to get out of here. So like we got her to the hospital around 9, 9.30-ish, and, uh, and it was just go time, and the contractions came, and like the body was like, Ugh. and uh, boy, it, the little Wes was born at 2.41 a.m. The buildup to that um, was really uh, amazing. She, she really had um, heavy contractions um, for like two hours, and then uh, she was just feeling lousy, and she's like, man, this is kill me. I, I, I'm not feeling good at all. And I'm like, I, I know, I can tell. <laughs> and, then, and they were switching positions. They had her get up in the bed. And uh, there was a little break in the contraction action. So I, like, I sent a message to my whole staff. I was like, hey, um, the, I think the baby's coming tonight. You know, it's early. So you'd be praying for us. And I also you know, sent Scott a message. Pastor Scott said, hey, you might want to get your sermon ready. It's, you know, I know it's Friday night, but get ready because I think you're preaching for me. And... Um, and right after I sent out that message, you know, my staff and, and people started praying for us. And, and immediately Sarah, when she got in the bed and, and got in the new position, she was like, man, the pain went away. She's like, man, it's almost like someone's praying for me. And I was like, that's exactly what it was. Uh, the, the doctor's like, oh, that's funny. You know, no one's praying for you. I'm like, <laughs> not true. I'm hiding my cell phone. Um, and then when he came, he came, they, they put him in my arms and... Um, and he, uh, when he first came out, like he had some fluid in his lungs. And there was like that moment where you're like, breathe, breathe. And then they got him clear and he started breathing. And, oh, and put him in my arms and then put him um, as fast as they could onto, onto Sarah. And it was this moment. It was so precious. Um, and she just let out this, like exhale, you know, like she's done, she's worked so hard, but it was more than that. Like some of you guys might not know our story, but over the last three years, we've had uh, three miscarriages. And one of the miscarriages, we had uh, twins. And the day we found out we had twins, uh, we found out that their hearts had stopped. And it was just, um, it was at 21 weeks that we found that out. And it was, it's just been a really hard road. And, and during some of those times, we've never felt uh, so hurt, but also we've, we haven't felt so loved. It, we were just so loved during that time. And when my wife exhaled and, and we had, she had Wesley on, on her chest and she was holding him, um, that exhale was like, it wasn't just, oh, you know, the, the eight hours of labor. It was three years of waiting to see life. 
And we didn't even like have a name like specified. We had a few names we liked, but we didn't have it specified. We, we talked about it later because we, we wanted to see that he survived. And so I just wanted to thank you guys for your prayers and your support. And if you're new here, this is a community, an amazing community that will love you and support you through the hardest things. And I'm so thankful for you guys and a church that has served us while we're gone. We had people step up and preach for me and run the, the church while I've been gone. And, you know, if things have been horrible, you can blame it on that. If it's, if it's been great, you know, just, you know, it's because I delegated really well. Um, I'm so thankful for you guys and thankful for the leaders who really stepped up in that time. Thank you. Love you guys. Um, I'm going to say a word of prayer and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. You're so good to us. Um, getting to hold that little boy in my arms for the first time, Lord, it just reminds me of um, how much you love us. You love each individual in here, Lord, no matter where they come from, what they've done, um, where they're headed. Lord, you care about them. You love them like a father loves a son, like a father loves his daughter. And we thank you for that. If there's people here with heavy burdens. Lift them. Lift them up. Encourage them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I came today to talk to you guys about the heart of a servant. We're starting a series, a new series for three weeks. It's all about the heart of a servant. And um, never has our world been more in need of servants, people who serve, people who help, people who lift others up. Never has our world and all the turmoil, all the craziness going on been more in need of servants. Um, the world always wants, like, like for in their leaders and the people that we want leading us, especially in America, we always want someone who's like really influential, really powerful. They're like they're, they're somehow attractive, like because they're funny or they're smart or they're good looking. And if you get all three, like that's the leader. You know, that's the leader we want. And we want people that like they'll stand up for themselves, but they'll they'll kind of accomplish my agenda. We want leaders that that that, that do what we want them to do. Um, we want people who have power. We want people who have influence. We want people who are popular. We want people who have talent. It's like American Idol is like, it literally is what we want in leaders. We want all these things. But what we need is a servant. What we need are servants. And I think we forget that in our culture because we get, it's so focused on the self and what we can get and, and what I want. And we want all these things. But what we need is a servant. When Jesus was born, when Jesus came into the world, um, the world wanted the same things. It wanted power in its leaders. It wanted um, popularity and influence and all these things. And what it, what it needed was a servant. And Jesus, when he was born, he, he, he was born into like this manger. And he was, bo- he was born with a bunch of like, you know, cows and sheep and goats and like this little like corner of the world that no one really cared about with this little people group um, called Israel or the Jews and they were this little people group that was bossed around and kicked around by the by the Roman Empire they 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 didn't matter they didn't have much power and and Jesus was born in like the least influential area um and he was from the least influential area in Israel and 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 when he um was growing up he his dad was a a carpenter and so God sent his son 
into like this low, he's poor, no influence, no power. And like his job, like the training he got, you know, was just blue collar. And, and back in these, these days, like that didn't give you, you know, that didn't give you any chips of influence. And that world, when they, they knew that there was a savior that was going to be born, they were expecting a king, someone who was powerful and mighty. What they got was this like humble servant from like the backwoods. Jesus came in a way no one expected, a way that no one wanted, but it was the servant that they needed. It was the servant that they needed. And, and even today, people struggle with that. Like, like I, they want the, the, this marriage, that they want this person in their life. They want uh, the job of their dreams, and they want all these things. But it often distracts us from what we really need, and what we need is a servant. Philippians 2 says this, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Like, take on the same mentality. Take on the same life as Jesus. In verse 7, it says in Philippians 2, that he emptied himself by assuming the form of a what? Servant. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. God became man, became a servant. Not to serve himself, but to serve others. Not to lift himself up and exalt himself, but to exalt and lift others up. Well, what, is a, what does a servant look like? Well, it goes on to say, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had, be, had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. Jesus was willing to come to earth, become a servant. He served his father and he served people even to the point of death. He died for the sins of the world. And when we realize that we're broken, when you realize like there's brokenness in your life, when you realize that that brokenness like seeps out in your relationships and in your work and in your, the way you think and the way you act and your habits, and that brokenness really, the Bible calls it sin. It's like really missing the mark and it, it, it breaks relationships and it causes all sorts of problems when we realize when you and i realize that we have sinned before a holy and utter and amazing god who's created all things you know we i think that's when we realize that we need need a servant a servant who would be willing to sacrifice for us a servant who would save us from our sins um The world wants to go its way all the time, but the way of the world is in opposition to the way of God. The way of the world is about me and mine. It's about like the world of you. And and when the kingdom's not about us, it's about serving. It's about loving others. Um, The Bible makes it really simple. Like there's this verse that's, you know, throughout the New Testament that makes Christianity, faith, really, really simple. And you might not even be a believer, but you're here. Someone brought you. You know, I don't don't know how you found your way here. But the Bible, you know, if if we were to distill what Christian faith is all about, uh, it, it distills it like this. In Luke, it says in chapter 10, verse 24, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Like love God with everything you have. And then love your neighbor as yourself. These two things, love God and love people. Like that's, that's it. Wouldn't it be nice if um, Christians were more known for loving God and loving people? Unfortunately, that's not what Christians are always known for. And I know lots of amazing Christians who actually do live that way. And the ones, you know, isn't it always the ones who like don't act 
the right way that always get the attention. Unfortunately, that's the case. But if you want to know what faith is distilled like to its essence, to like the most simple thing, it's loving God and loving people. Um, and if you have notes, you might want to uh, take note of this. We love God by serving God. And we love people by serving people. Let me say that again. We love God by serving God. And we love people by serving people. First commandment. The greatest commandment is to love God and love people. We are made to serve. We think we know what we need until cancer hits. We think we know what we need until our health is taken away. We think we know what we need until like our marriage blows up. We think we know what we need until our job is gone or until our contract that we we're counting on is, is over or it was taken. And We think we know what we need when, you know, the floods start rising, the hurricane starts blowing, the fires start burning. But what we really need is a servant. It's a servant. Now, when I talk about serving with Christians, I talk about serving with people in general, like most people, you don't usually get people like, hey, I, we don't have to be a servant. Why are you talking about being a servant? Like, it's all about me. You don't get people that like, you know, normally will vocalize that. Um, be like, I totally disagree with serving. How many of you guys agree that like serving's good, being a servant is good? All right, not too many people are like, no, it's not as bad. Not too many people that disagree with that. Um, but here's the deal. I think everybody likes the idea of serving. Everybody loves the idea of being a servant until they're treated like one. Think about that. We love the idea of being a servant. Like, you know, that makes me feel good. It gives me, like, reason to be proud. It gives me reason to say, you know, hey, I'm doing good in my faith. And, you know, I'm pretty righteous because I'm a servant, you know. We love that idea until somebody treats you like their servant. Then we're like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I had my son put in my arms, got to look at him, like have, see him open his eyes for the first time. I got to be with my, my bride as she got to hold him. And I just was looking at them, and then my little, little girl, Novella, was like, man, Lord, I'm so blessed. I'm not worthy to have this blessing. Have you ever had that moment where you're just like, like, how did this, you don't even have to be a Christian, and you're just like, this doesn't even make, this is too good for somebody like me. Like, I don't deserve this goodness, this, how amazing this is. And I, I was with them, and I was just like, God, thank you. This is incredible. I'm so blessed to have this family and to serve this family. I will serve this family with my whole life. Lord, thank you. I will serve them. I am their servant. I will do anything for them. I would die for them. I'm a servant. Until my wife woke me up at two in the morning. <laughs> the baby needs to be changed. No, it wasn't that low. <laughs> the baby needs to be changed. And, and you know what my answer was? Like a deep, like just terrible snore, like apnea, like, oh man, he's not getting enough oxygen to the brain snore. And then wham, 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 wham. The baby needs to be changed. I've been waking up every hour. You need to change. I'm like, what? Woman, I'm, I'm a servant from eight to nine. It's like a, <laughs> not two o'clock in the morning. Like what? You know, I'll take him and grumble and put him down. And I got it. And then it's, he's male. And so like there's urine and, you know, taking care of this, uh, this, you know, little baby, and I'm just like, and all of a sudden I hear this, and take out the trash, it's getting too full. I'm like, 
what do I look like? You're a servant? We're just about to go into a series on serving. It's so great. Lord, thank you. It's a way of humbling you. How can, you know, how can I teach on serving if I struggle to serve my own family with a good attitude all the time? Like, do you ever struggle with having a good attitude with serving? Oh, we all like the idea of being a servant until we're treated like one. And Christians, this is for you, for you. If, you're, if you've ever put your faith in Jesus, you're here and you're part of the family of God and you've decided to step out and trust God, this is for you. We, we all love the idea of serving God until he asks us to do something that we don't want to do. Until he asks us to do something like that. God, that doesn't make sense. Like, logically, Lord, let's think through it a little bit better. Because what you're asking me to do, like, that requires, like, faith. And, I, you know, that's important. I know intellectually it's important. But let me explain to you, God, how this really should go. Or, like, something that just freaks you out. You're like, that's just scary. I don't want to do that. Or something that you're just like, I hate that. Why would I do something or help someone that I hate? Like, zero sense. I don't want to do that. We all want to serve God and say we're a servant until he asks us to do something we don't want to do. We are made to be servants. We are designed to like live our lives loving God, loving other people, but we resist it because there's like, this, like a seed of selfishness in the human heart. Can we agree on that a little bit? It didn't take long for that selfishness of mine to come out of Novella as a little one. And I'm, I'm guarantee you I wasn't training her in any selfishness. It just comes out in us. And so what I want to do is I want to go through a story. And through a story that teaches us the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant. So if you have your notes out, go ahead and take it out. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. We're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. So you go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, the the script is going to be on the screen behind me. Verse 30, it says, The apostles or the disciples who followed Jesus gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. They'd been sent on this mission. They come back to him. And he says to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not have time to eat. Like they're exhausted. They're tired. They need, they need a break. They've been doing ministry and loving and serving and helping and healing people. And, you know, any parents in here, you've been like working all day and it's like you're exhausted and you've been serving, serving, taking care of kids and all sorts of emotional disasters happening. And you're just like, oh, it's bedtime. bedtime. Thank the Lord, you know, and you're like, it's time to get some rest. So in verse 32, they, they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. Um. But many people saw them leaving <laughs> and recognized them. So like, this isn't like nowadays, it's like, hey, let's go get some rest and let's jump in the car, or jump in the boat that's motorized and, and take off and go get some rest. It was like they were like, yeah, let's go get some rest from all these people we've been serving, you know, all these people around them. Let's jump in the boat in Lake Galilee and take off. So they jump in the boat and they're like, whoosh, whoosh. And they're just like, people are like, we can still see you. And it says they recognize them. They saw them and uh, in the boat by themselves, but many saw them, and, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them where they were going. So they're like, we can see you. You know, even like old grandpas moving slowly at boat's pace. Jesus, how are you doing? And they're like, faster, row faster. You know, and, they can't, and by the time they get where they're going, all these people have gathered. They're like, they can't get away, they can't get away from, from ministry, from being a servant, 
for like one minute. You know, you're like, I just put the kids down. I finally get some ice cream and a cold beverage and it's going to be amazing. Put on the show and then like you drop something and boom, you're like, oh no. And like Jurassic Park, you see like your beverage start moving. You're like, no. And all the children come running around and then they're on. And you're like, nope, I'm not getting any rest tonight. Have you ever had that happen? I'm sure you've never had that happen. So they go ashore and it says he saw a large crowd. Jesus saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted. It's like a desert here. There's nothing here. It's just like rocks and people. And like, like it's already late. Verse 36, send them away so that they can get into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Like, they're, like, we're servants. We want to take care of these people. There's no food out here. They've been out here for a while with us. Let's send them home or send them into the villages to be able to go get some food. You know, we care about them enough to do that. It's interesting. Jesus' response is so amazing. They're like, let's send them away, Jesus. And in verse 37, you might want to underline this if you have it in your Bible. You give them something to eat. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they're like, in this story later we find out, there's like 5,000 men, that's not including their families. There's like thousands of people and they're like, uh, what do you mean we feed them, Jesus? You ever had a moment like that where like God pressed on your heart or through his word or through somebody? It's like, you need to do this. And you're like, like God says, you need to feed these people. And you're like, with What? Like, what are you talking about, Lord? Like, let's rethink this. And, you know, they try to rethink this with him. They say to him, well, let's use Jesus' logic. Uh, should we go and buy, you know, 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something? Should we go spend money that we don't have at uh, bakeries that don't exist uh, to feed the amount of people we have? Like, what, what are we supposed to do, Jesus? What are we supposed to do? And, and what, they're, what they're saying is... Um, the need is greater than our capacity. The need of these people is greater than our capacity. And friends, if you follow Jesus, if you serve Jesus, and if you do ministry for any time with him, what you're going to find is true over and over is that the need is always greater than our capacity. You just look at the news. Look at the BBC. Look at CNN. Look at, like, we have fires going around like crazy. We have hurricanes. We have flooding going on in the world. We've got North Korea. We've got, you know, every a major city has, you know, crime in our, and violence going on in our cities. And, and we've got all these issues. And, like, the need is always greater than our capacity. The need will always be greater than your capacity. But his disciples, they're forgetting who they're serving. They're forgetting in this moment who they're with. They, they see the need and they see how vast that is that they forget how great God's power and love and provision is because they're focusing on the lack of, the scarcity, what we don't have what I'm not able to do and should I even have to do this and why would I even try to do this and when I can't even do it it doesn't even make sense and then we're like it's so human to focus on the scarcity and what we don't have at the expense of what we do have the creator of the heavens and the earth when he asks us to do something 
Don't you think you can probably do it? And you know what? If, if you do something for the Lord and it doesn't go the way you planned, what, do you think maybe he was trying to teach you something in, in that? You give them something. And then they're like, no, we can't. They're giving me excuses. And then in verse 38, it says he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They haven't even checked how much they really have. Like, they haven't even looked at the inventory. He's like, go and see. And then when they, and they found out, they come back. They say, we have five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus. And there's thousands of people here. You're proving our point. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Where have we heard that before? People being divided in hundreds and fifties. And it says, he took the loaves of bread and the fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves and he kept giving it to the disciples to set before people. He'd give them some bread and then they, the bread would go to their hands from Jesus' hands and then they'd go to the people's hands and they'd come back, get some bread from Jesus' hands and it'd go to their hands and then he'd give it to the hands of people that they were serving. Um, where have we heard of a story where people are, are divided in groups and then bread from heaven is given? This is the old story of Israel when Moses leads them out of Egypt and they're set free and, and then like, they're like, God, we don't have food and it's better in Egypt and we're not, we don't have provision and they're freaking out because the need is greater than our capacity and they're freaking out and then the God of heaven brings bread from heaven and feeds them. It was called manna, which meant, what is it? It's kind of a funny name. What is that? And it was this bread from heaven. And in this story, Mark is saying, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, the God, the most high God of heaven who brought heaven's bread down is doing the same thing through this Jesus. He's saying the God from the Old Testament, that, that God is in your midst. Jesus is the bread of heaven, giving the bread of heaven from his hands to the disciples' hands to the people's hands. That's pretty powerful. It's reminding us who we really are serving. It's reminding the disciples who they're really with. And then and to finish this, it says, uh, he divided also the two fish among them, and everyone ate and was satisfied. And they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread. And now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. They had a surplus. There was more than, you know, there were thousands of people. Just 5,000 men with their families is an unbelievable amount. And all of them were fed. All of them were satisfied. And, and, and the first thing I want you to, to, to know about this, the heart of a servant is servants have compassion. Servants have compassion. Verse 34, it says, when he went ashore and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is seeing a need that moves your heart to action. It's seeing an issue. You ever seen someone in a situation like, you know, a single mom uh, or, or someone in pain or a, a kid who's uh, hurting or some kind of, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual need and just your heart goes out to them? See, compassion is that thing that like moves our heart to action. You don't really have compassion if you're like, oh, I feel so bad for this person, and then do nothing for them. And a lot of people, that's, that's, you know, for them, that's called religion, you know? But true faith takes care of widows and orphans. True faith, is, it, it's where your heart is moved like Jesus, heart of a servant, and, you, and you, you meet that need, you help them, you come alongside, you help them in their grieving, you're present, you're there, you, you do something about it. If you don't 
if you just feel bad for people, that's just like you're just showing sympathy. Oh, I feel really bad for you. If you just feel it, you're just having empathy. And, and that, that's good that we have empathy, but if it doesn't move us to do anything, then we're not having compassion. We're not serving them. And sometimes people can take on too much empathy and they're like damaging themselves and putting themselves in a place to be a, you know, almost like abused because they're taking so much of the emotion on. Some of you guys do that, right? I've seen people look at it like, some of you guys, like, you, are, you take so much emotion and so much hurt. But com- true compassion is knowing how to have that boundary where you actually do something and it fuels something positive out of it, not something that uh, that's just renders you useless or abused. Does that make sense? Servants have compassion. Now, this is really important. Why did Jesus have compassion? It says they had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. If you look, a little, if you look, uh, where is it? In verse thirty-nine, it says he instructed them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. Mark is again; he's pulling us back to an echo of the Old Testament, saying, "Hey." Jesus looked out and they were like sheep without a shepherd. They had need. And then he, and remember they were in this scarce and deserted desert. And then all of a sudden he puts them in this green grass. What he's doing is saying, hey, this is, this is Psalm 23. This is the God of Psalm 23. Remember we studied Psalms. This is one of the most like remembered Psalms in, in, all, the, in all the scriptures. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I, sh- I shall not want or I have all that I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. Again, Mark is saying, the God who sees the sheep who need a shepherd leads them to green pastures, to, to life. And he gives them life and he's with them through the valley of the shadow of death and he provides for them in their need and he's their servant, he's their leader and that God who's their shepherd is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, it's this powerful moment where we get moved. If we trust in Jesus, we get moved from desolation and scarcity to abundance, green pastures, and our needs are met. That doesn't mean like we get, you know, it's like God's like this genie that we get whatever we want and we just have to wish for it. But God provides for us. Here's the other thing. Servants know and do what their leaders want, not what they want. Disciples were like, and Jesus said, hey, you, you, you feed them. They're like, what, what are we supposed to feed them with? And this is a bad idea, and this won't work. And remember, they're looking at the scarcity. They're, they're looking at everything as like a problem or an obligation. But servants don't look at um, need. They don't look at the, the issues going on as just an obligation. They look at it as an opportunity. Servants see opportunity where non-servants see an obligation. How many people just serve out of obligation are like, I, I, don't, I don't know this is going to work and I don't really want to do this. And they were struggling with that. And, it's, and one thing we have to know about servants, servants know and do what their leaders want, not what they want. And I'm afraid that we sometimes can fall into, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I have a feeling that it's easy for us as Christians and it's easy for the church to fall into this thing where um, we pick and choose what we want to do. Servants know and do what their leader wants. Servants don't pick and choose what their master wants. And I think when it scares us or it doesn't make sense 
or like it, we just don't feel like it, or we have any reason for not doing something. Like when God gives you and I an assignment, Christians, when he gives us an assignment, does the servant choose the assignment? Say, God, no, no, uh, you need to assign that to somebody else. I, I, I'll do this. It's like the smorgasbord. I'll pick this out, and I like this. This is great. Ew, this kale. I don't like kale. I'm not going to do that. And if some people like kale, and I'm very proud of you. You're an amazing person. <laughs> I, it's, it grows from the dirt. It tastes like dirt. I'm just trying to like it. And Sarah's like, you need to like this. And it's so hard. <laughs> Preach it, right? Some of us don't want that assignment. We're like, no. Servants don't pick and choose their assignments. They just, like their assignment's given. You can choose to reject the assignment. But I want to I ask you, what assignments has God been sending your way? And have you been looking at it and saying, God, I trust you? Or have you been running away from it? Have you been saying, no, like that doesn't make sense? Or I, I don't, I'm not really called to do that. Someone else can do that. That's not our job. Our job is to accept this assignment and do it and trust the Lord. Servants trust God for provision. That's the next point. Servants trust God for provision. They don't trust themselves. Verse 41, it says, He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. And then he started giving it to his disciples. Uh, The disciples were like, this can't be done. There's not enough. It's too scarce. The need is greater than our capacity. And Jesus just like says, well, give me what you have. And he looks up to his heavenly father and says, God, bless this and spread this. And just begins doing a miracle. And from his hands to the disciples' hands to the people, God provided. God has the provision for what he's calling us to do. Whatever you're going through right now, and maybe it's emotional, you're like, I can't handle this. God, if you ask God, you, he, he can bring you through this. He can give you the people and the, and the places in your life, the things in your life that you need to get through it. If it's physical, like God, he probably already is working a way so that you will survive. And you're like, you know, you don't know my situation, George. I, I, just, know, I just know my God. You're right, I don't know your situation, but I know time and time again there is a God who brings bread from heaven, who gave his son as the ultimate bread of life so that when he was broken on the cross that we could have life through him. That's the God I serve. Is that the God that you serve? Do you trust him? Do you think that he can actually do what he says and and complete what he asks you to do through you? Do you trust him? Servants trust God for the provision. They don't just trust themselves. Servants give what they have been given. I love that it says he kept giving them to his disciples, giving the bread to his disciples to give to people. Just that image is just so powerful. Think about that, that image. Jesus having this bread, giving it to his disciples, them taking it in their hands as servants and then going and giving it to others. And then, oh, we need more because I ran out. Going back to Jesus, being given what they need. And giving it to people. And then, oh, I don't have any more. And then going to Jesus. Isn't this the pattern of following Christ? That like, like we only have what God has given us. The breath in your lungs. The, the family you have. The gifts. The talents that you have. And you're like, I'm not talented. Or I wish I had that person's talent. God made you to be you. There's no other you. And he's got a purpose for you. I mean, we're going to be looking at this in the coming weeks. That you are shaped by God. For God. To accomplish works that he's made for you. Like God has designed you with your unique sense of humor. Jason and your unique uh, sense of style you know some of you guys over here with your Seahawks gear you know God has made you how he's made you 
so that you can serve him. Like, does the clay say to the potter, like, I hate the way you made me. This is lame. No, the clay's like, wow, like, I can do this. Like, you made me for this. And do what God designed you to do. I think servants do what they're designed to do. And part of that is taking from God, recognizing what he has given you, and then, and then giving it to others. Your time, your talent, your treasure, your story, your testimony. Like, everything that God has given you, giving that, taking it in your hands and giving it to someone else. And when you're exhausted and depleted, what do you do? You will go back to him. And when you bring it to other people, there's this weird thing where you are filled up. One of the things my wife mentioned to me too is just when you serve and when you take those assignments that seem tough, it grows your faith and it changes people, but there's also joy. Like you get the joy of the Lord. You, you get to see his work. You get to see God transform you. There's joy that comes into your life. What has God given you and are you serving other people with it? Or are you holding on to it tightly with your hands or giving it with open hands? We change, you might want to note this, we change when we serve God and we change others when we serve God. Verse 42 says, everyone ate and was satisfied. Everyone ate and was satisfied. God changes you. He changes you. You see his work and you see him change other people. When you have the heart of a servant, I can tell someone's a servant when other people start changing for the better around them. Do you know that you can pick out a servant when you start seeing other people become better? A lot of times we, like me- we mess up and we think, wow, that person's really, they're amazing. Like, what's going on in their life? They must be you know, just an incredible person. I, I, sometimes we misplace where the changes come from. Oh, it's self-generated, and this person's amazing, and they're a hero. Because we want to look for power, prestige, um, popularity, and talent, and we're looking for all those things, when, when most likely there was a servant who came along into their life and helped empower them become what they've become. That's why Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servants, because you're lifting people up. And you get to experience that joy. Do you have that joy in your life? Are people changing around you? Are your kids changing around you for the better? Are your, is your spouse or your friends, is your, your, are your coworkers changing? Is your church community changing? And if you're struggling and you're not seeing that change, you might have to ask, like, who am I serving? Ser- serving changes you. Service kills selfishness. Do you know that? Service kills selfishness. We are, like the me and the mind, and it's all about me, world we live in. Jesus comes and says, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about loving him, and it's about loving people. And we love God by serving God, and we love people by serving people. So get, on, get into that rhythm. Get into that rhythm, and you will be changed. Like The selfishness will start leaving your body. Um, I, I look back at my like since I've got these two little kiddos and since I've been married, God has slowly been like revealing my selfishness. I look back at myself, I'm like, man, I was so selfish. I'm not saying I'm not still, you know, but, I, I, but I'm telling you back then, like I didn't realize how selfish I was. And when you have to serve, service kills selfishness every time, all the time. John 12, I want to end with these few thoughts here. John 12, 26 says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves Jesus, he follows Jesus. He takes his assignments. He's with him. He's where Jesus is at. Servants follow their leader. Servants follow 
their leader. Isn't this true? Notice in this scenario, when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about like church community. We're talking about faith. It says servants follow their leader, singular, not plural. It's not like uh, uh, disciples will follow their leaders. And that is supposed to happen on a certain level, but it's saying that there's one person, like there's an audience of one. Who are you trying to please? Who are you trying to serve with your life? When you look at your your time and your talent and all your energies and you look at your life, if someone were to look at it, they'd say, who is guiding your life? Who is leading your life? And that comes down to one leader. Our hearts are designed to serve one thing, one leader, one master. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus teaches this. He says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two ultimate leaders. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted and serve one and despise and reject and not serve the other. You can't serve two masters. And friends, I think there are people that are exhausted and fatigued in their faith. There are people who are trying to figure it out and they, are, they, they aren't experiencing joy. They're not experiencing change. And, and like there's such a focus on themselves and a focus on the problems and they're fatigued. And what it's done is it's like lowered God in the, from that place of, of being in the highest place of honor, the highest seat of honor where you're worshiping and living for and focusing and serving him. And it's lowered him into the milieu or into the, into the flattening out of all these other things in your life, your work, your other relationships, your stresses, your joys, your wins, your life, you, you. And God's either been lowered to like the same level, so you're like serving all these different things. Like we were, we were called to, to serve and we were taught by Jesus to serve the one. And many of us have like devolved because of fatigue and anger or bitterness and hurt to serving anyone and anything that comes into our path. And it diverts us. Something as simple as a sport, it can be something as, as awful as an addiction. And it's derailed us because it's become number one. Like, where's your energy? Where's your time? Like, that's your master. Servants follow their leader. No one can serve two masters. And whether it's fatigue, soul, weariness... It's selfishness, my time, my money, my job, my work, me, me. What If it's that, if it's you don't feel worthy and you're like, I'm not worthy, so you find ways to sabotage serving or doing anything because you're not worthy. That's just another form of selfishness. Like you're coming up with a reason to not do what God has called you to do, that God has equipped you to do, that he will walk along with you to do and accomplish. And you're like, no, I'm not worthy. You're finding a reason not to do it. And I think at the heart of it lies this reality that like we've started serving two or three or four masters and, and God has all of a sudden moved here or he's moved to the background. My question for you today is who do you serve? We're called to love God and love people. We won't love people well. We won't serve people well if we don't love God, the creator of all things, the one who created love, who is love, is the source of all love. We won't love people well if we just take from him for a moment and just start serving and we get depleted, don't have anything, we get frustrated, and all of a sudden we're angry at these people that we wanted to love and serve and we were compassionate for a while, but now we're just angry with them or frustrated and we're depressed and we never go back to the source over and over. The source of life and love comes from the master. It comes from Jesus. He's the true master. He's the true leader. Where is your heart? 
And today I'm calling you to have a heart of a servant, a heart that burns after God, that says, you know what, I've been, I've, like somehow I've kind of sunk into this way of living that, that, that has taken my eyes off of the kingdom, it's taken my eyes off the Lord, and I need to get my eyes and my priority and my heart aligned with Him. I need to be loyal to Him and not these other things first. God will take care of everything else once we serve Him. Are you with me? So that's the challenge for us today, friends. What would a church like look like filled with servants? What could a church do? I would like to uh, ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. God has called you to be a servant. What are you going to do about it? He's called you to serve. Who are you going to serve? And I, I, You might not know Jesus, and you might have known Jesus for a long, long time. But maybe God's not number one in your life right now, and I just want to call you back to him, to serve him, to make a commitment, to say, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. You're going to be the number one leader in my life. And that might just need to be declared today in your life and in your heart. So would, would you pray this with me? Whether you've known Jesus for a long time or you, you're deciding to serve him today, would you pray this prayer in your heart with me? Heavenly Father, Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross to set me free. Thank you for being the bread of heaven that provides. I want to serve you and you alone. Give me the heart of a servant. Help me to love you and serve you. Help me to love people and serve people. Help me to do this to the best of my ability and the best I know how. In Jesus' name, amen.